Hi, this is listener Lizzie and listener Belle from College Station, Texas. And this is Better Place Project with Steve Norris. Make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Special thanks to Lizzie and Belle, college roommates listening from Texas. Fantastic job, ladies. So I made myself some blueberry pancakes this morning. Now you may ask, why is that significant? It's significant because I have not made pancakes in, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's been at least 10 years, maybe 15 years, maybe even since your kids were really small, Aaron, probably at least high school, since you were in high school. I don't think I've made pancakes in that (laughs) amount of time. And so I, a couple days ago, I'm walking through Whole Foods, and they should be paying us for a sponsorship, but darn it, they're not. <laughs> but uh, and I'm trying out. All right, I've I've enjoyed my whole life being able to eat anything I want. I have an iron stomach. I like spicy foods. I like dairy, milk, uh, cappuccino, all of that. Coffee, lots of coffee. Never had issues. For some reason, I'm having like stomach like pains uh, off and on for the last couple months. So I thought maybe I'll try knocking out gluten. So. I picked up some gluten-free pancake mix. Oh, look and at that. <laughs> I'm actually, Aaron and I are doing a Zoom call. 365 it's brand? 365 brand. It, uh, well, it says Whole Foods on it. I'm assuming oh, it's yeah. their brand. Yeah, it I'm is. I'm assuming that's their brand. So so I tried and made the their gluten-free pancakes this morning, and I put some blueberries in it, and oh my gosh, they were delicious so highly recommend them go to your nearest whole foods for gluten-free pancake and waffle mix and it's organic when's the last time you had pancakes there you go uh well there there's a protein pancake mix that i really like Aaron is frantically googling it so i was thinking it was bear something but there's a bear on the box it's called kodiak cakes kodiak with a k yeah kodiak cakes power cakes flapjack and waffle mix and it's really good it doesn't taste like healthy at all but Mm -hmm. it has um how many grams of protein in it i'm gonna guess nine grams per serving 14 grams Woo! that's a lot of protein yeah it is good i don't think it's gluten-free though so maybe not the best recommendation for you but right now while i see if gluten's it it's only been Four days, I think, since I haven't had anything with gluten in it, so mm-hmm. still not feeling much change. So we'll see if that uh, if that improves. So pancakes is like a special occasion kind of breakfast that you make on a weekend morning totally. when you have that extra time and you treat yourself. But I th- used to think it was so funny. Cody used to make pancakes every morning for breakfast, and it was those specific kind, the Kodiak protein cakes. Every morning? Every morning. And it's so easy because you really only have to mix it with water or like almond Mm -hmm. milk or something. But he used to make it every single morning for breakfast. He would have protein pancakes. (laughs) Which, by the way, for new listeners, Cody is Aaron's boyfriend. And I have to ask you, Aaron, was he drawn to them because it's Kodiak pancakes? Like kind of, it sounds like they're, you know, Cody's pancakes, Kodiak pancakes. (laughs) I don't think he thought of that at all. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) I, when you mentioned the name a few minutes ago, Kodiak Pancakes, I thought, oh, I wonder if Cody eats Kodiak Pancakes. <laughs> oh and sure gosh. enough, you fire back that he had them every day, even if it was subliminal. 
subliminal, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's part of the reason why I liked them. You're going to have to get <laughs> the answer to that and report back to us. Or we might have to have Cody as a guest on the show next week and we'll put him <laughs> in the hot seat and ask him. Well, that reminds me. So Cody also uh, just went to a coding academy to learn computer coding. <laughs> and right when I told you that, the uh, I don't know, whenever he started a few months ago, that was your first question. Oh, so did, was Cody interested in coding because his name is in the word? <laughs> Cody, the Only Codester you. Coder. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Only you. <laughs> and then That's another funny. totally random thing I did this morning, while I'm enjoying my 365 Whole Foods organic gluten-free pancake and waffle mix, I watched a Netflix documentary on Rush, the band. Now, I am not a huge Rush fan. I liked them growing up. They were big when I was in high school, and but uh, but I never like loved them. Anyway, this was a really, really and I did love uh, their writing. Neil Peart was their lyricist, and my high school English literature final thesis paper my senior year was on Rush and Neil Peart's lyrics because he quotes Shakespeare and he has these really in-depth lyrics that were really in common, especially back in the 80s. So another kind of uh, tip we're going to throw out there for our listeners, even if you're not a Rush fan, check out that documentary Rush on Netflix. It's really cool. I am really excited to watch that. I didn't even know they had one. Nor did I. But Stumbled across it. Yeah. Whenever I watch a documentary about a musician, it always makes me like them way more. Totally. I watched the Kurt Cobain one that came out years ago, and I had only known like one Nirvana song before that. And then Mm -hmm. after watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to listen to more of this music. And then it really makes you, I don't know, you just get like a new perspective on that person and it really makes you understand them more and um, a lot of times, you know, feel for them more and what they've gone through. Absolutely. You connect with them as a human when you kind of hear their story and how hard they work to to make it. No Mm -hmm. doubt about it. And the same thing happened with when I watched Taylor Swift's documentary and then Amy Winehouse had one that came out a while ago. Oh, hers was so good, too. and Mm Kind of sad, too, about her dad and all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah. But I'm convinced that like with any musician, if they just if they come out with a documentary, then I'll probably be a fan after watching it. (laughs) Heck yeah. Okay, enough small talk. Let's get to today's show. Who do we have today, Aaron? As an original board member, Missy Amschwan Bellinger co-founded a shelter for cancer families with her late husband, Tom Amschwan, in 2001. The vision for the foundation began when Tom was diagnosed with sarcoma at the age of 29. Because of Tom's vision, ASCF was formed to address the needs of families affected by cancer, specifically sarcoma, that were not already being met elsewhere. They offer more than housing. They provide much-needed tangible support to all families seeking cancer care in the Texas Medical Center and to those who travel to Houston for treatment. They offer a home away from home where their families can gather, create new memories, and heal. Okay, I think I'm going to use a word for the first time on this show. I know I overuse lots of words like amazing, and I know I'm guilty of that. <laughs> and a bunch of, I have like three words I just way overuse. But one <laughs> word that I never use, but it's the first word that comes to mind when I think of Missy, is delightful. She is just a force of positive energy. She was such a delight to have on the show. You used the word delight too, so it must describe her perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, she's such a light in this world and is just super sweet and warm-hearted, and I'm really glad that we got the chance to talk to her. Absolutely. Missy, 
definitely checks every single box when it comes to the qualifications of being a better place badass who's making the world a better place. What you're about to hear is such an inspirational story of a woman who experienced the unthinkable misfortune of losing her husband at a very young age and then chose to turn that misfortune into her life's work that is making such a wonderful, incredible difference in so many people's lives. Without further ado, our conversation with Missy Bellinger. Hello, Missy. How are we doing? doing well how are you we are fantastic we've got Aaron here as well good morning Aaron yeah good morning good morning Aaron thanks so much for joining us like I said in our episode last week we had uh, for those of you who have not listened we had a better place badasses issue last week where Aaron and I just randomly and we didn't tell each other who we were going to talk about and we each kind of had a chore where we had to go find five people around the world. And I had a friend listener who recommended Missy. And so I thought, okay, we'll put uh, Missy on our badasses show. And the more I went and, and checked out your website and learned about you and what you're up to, I thought, oh my gosh, we've got to get this badass on our show and do a full interview. So so thrilled to have you here. Yeah. If we could, let's start way at the beginning back in 1999, I think it was, your second wedding anniversary, correct? Well, first, let me thank you for including me among such amazing change makers um, on your badass list. I'm not sure. Of that course. Ever called You've earned it, Missy. If I oh, yeah. Ever called me a badass, but... Um, <laughs> as you should be you deserve it uh for sure thank you so so yes on our on um i was married um in um i guess it was in um the late 90s not to give away my age here i i did celebrate recently the big 5-0 so that was congratulations and um but on my second year wedding anniversary uh, to Tom, Tom was diagnosed with uh, cardiac angiosarcoma, which is a rare type of cancer. His primary tumor was in his heart. And at, at the time he was diagnosed, um, it had spread already to both lungs. In fact, on our honeymoon two years prior, he was hospitalized on the island of, of Hawaii, um, actually the island of Maui. It was, we were hospitalized on Kauai, Hawaiian islands, and um, he was having some symptoms. And unfortunately, they thought maybe it was just an inner ear infection. And after scanning him from the head to the neck, you know, it didn't reveal much. Um, unfortunately, as we now know, the tumor was below the neck and the right atrium of his heart. And um, two years later, he would be diagnosed with the disease. Wow. So it took two years from the time he first had symptoms to even for you to know exactly what it was. He had he had the symptoms two years prior and the the cancer had probably been growing there for multiple years and they didn't present a problem initially. Um, I think what, you know, speculating now in hindsight, you know, I guess it's 2020, but the tumor in the right atrium of, of his heart was likely not fully attached. And so it was a little bit positional when he would lay down, it would kind of 
flap closed and would cause a blockage, which would cause his heart to race and um, a variety of other symptoms. They thought perhaps he might be having an aneurysm, which of course was very scary for us as a sure. couple living literally within the shadows of the Texas Medical Center to be hot, hospitalized on um, what they refer to as the Garden Island. Um, I was, <laughs> it was, it was a scary experience being newly in charge as a newlywed responsible for him and being away from our network of doctors and healthcare professionals that we know here at Houston. So he, his, his stopped and then it wasn't until, um, I guess three months prior to his diagnosis that he started to develop other symptoms, um, hemoptysis, which essentially he was coughing up blood and it took three months to diagnose him here in the medical center. Wow. And I believe I read Missy somewhere that he was what, 29 years old. You guys are still in your twenties at this point then. He was, we were newlyweds. We were in our twenties. We were just getting ready to start having our family. Um, we had done some family planning and I was taking, prenatal vitamins and I'd already gone for my checkups. And I remember the day like it was yesterday, sitting on the front steps of the Methodist hospital, watching other families leaving with their babies and their balloons. And we were leaving with cancer. Oh my gosh. And at that time, obviously ASCF didn't exist. I can imagine how alone you must have felt. Did you have family there in town as well? Your parents we, or his parents or? We do. We do have quite a bit of family in the area. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think um, I'm in constant awe of how God prepares us for, um, for, for things that we don't even realize that are coming down the pipeline. Um, I had worked in healthcare. We have doctors in our family. I had served on a number of boards of nonprofit organizations. And so, um, you know, ironically, I was uniquely equipped for, for what it is that ended yeah. being my lifelong ministry. But emotionally, it was devastating. I can imagine. And so from, from that point, it was just from the point of diagnosis, I understand it was 18 months of just fighting for his life, I would assume, and just tests and, and procedures and throughout that 18 month period, was there ever a situation where things were starting to improve? And, you know, did you have hope or I'm, I'm just trying to kind of help for those of us that haven't gone through it, kind of help us understand what you cancer survivors go through and families of cancer survivors uh, during such a horrible time in your life? Sure. Well, sarcoma is a rare cancer and most doctors have never seen a case. We are so fortunate that we live in Houston where we have the largest cancer center in the world and the largest concentration of sarcoma specialists in the world. And so we were fortunate in that we were able to walk across the street from Methodist Hospital to MD Anderson Cancer Center to receive care from doctors who treated sarcoma and only sarcoma. And that makes a difference. That's one of the things that we recommend to newly diagnosed patients is to seek treatment at a high volume cancer center if you have a difficult to treat 
or a rare type of cancer. Um, unfortunately, we were familiar with sarcoma in that Tom had lost his mom to the disease five years prior. Uh, in fact, mm. before wow. I met Tom, he had already lost his mom to a different type of sarcoma. And so um, we, we knew MD Anderson was the place that we needed to be for that. So we, we went across the street and um, we started treatment. He, there were ups and downs. You asked the question about, did we have hope? I think that, um, and I encourage all of your listeners um, to never give up hope. I think that we always had hope until the very end. And for, and the many prayers that we prayed during that time, I, I, I believe that God answered those prayers, but sometimes the healing comes on the other side of heaven. Sometimes it comes on this side. And so I believe that our prayers were answered, just not in the way that we had imagined or wanted. Well said. And he was on treatment for, for 18 months. There was never a point of remission. Um, toward the end of his life, we did go to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston and went up to uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City and received second and third opinions because when you're at the number one cancer hospital in the world, where do you go? You go to number two and number three. So we yeah. went there to meet with sarcoma specialists and um, did participate in a clinical trial at Dana-Farber, but uh, his cancer had during the washout period that he had, his cancer unfortunately had metastasized to his brain. And it wasn't long after returning home from Boston, um, it was it was the last Christmas that we had together. We returned home, we celebrated the new year, and then received the news that it had spread to his brain. And, and then it was just, um, they gave us two to six months and it was a matter of weeks. Wow. And it's my understanding that I watched some videos on your website and and I learned about Robin and Rodney Grayson. Is that who it is? I understand you met them about this time as well. We did. So when Tom was newly diagnosed, he really wanted to connect with someone who was beating the odds. And I met Rodney and Robin Grayson through um, the Association of Cancer Online Resources, ACOR. And this was in the age before really, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there, you know, technology was evolving. And so we didn't have all the tools that we have today to connect. And so essentially it was a listserv and okay. we connected that way and eventually met them. They came down, they were making their way down from um, St. Joe, Missouri regularly for Robin's follow-up visits. She was in remission at the time and they were the proud parents of two little girls and we, they stayed with us. They would come down to teachers in their minivan and bring their little girls with them. And they stayed in our home. And that was really the start of Tom's vision in trying to imagine an organization that was, would be equipped to meet the needs of families that were coming from outside of Houston to receive life-saving care at, at the Texas Medical Center. Yeah, I, I, on one of those videos, you mentioned regarding this, the quote, changing lives begins with a single act of kindness, which I thought was just wonderful. And for you to 
welcome then them into your home it it's i mean you never outright say this that i saw on your website but it sounds like that was also part of the inspiration for what ended up being your organization was it not oh absolutely it it all began with robin it really did mm. we would go to these appointments and we would see families with their suitcases and and you know dragging them along behind them sitting in the waiting room and you know would strike up a conversation and realize that there were people traveling from, I mean, across the city, across the state of Texas, across the country, and, and from around the world were coming to MD Anderson for care. And we felt so privileged to live literally in the shadows of the Texas Medical Center. Um, and so the question kind of came up, you know, where do these families stay? There are resources for some pediatric cancer patients like Ronald McDonald House, but mm -hmm. what happens when mom has cancer and mom has two kids and how do they pay for their mortgage at home when they're paying for housing in Houston and what kind of financial and emotional burdens do these challenges present for these families? And Tom just felt a sense of responsibility because we were so fortunate to uh, create an organization that would provide for them. And if you knew Tom, you would, well, when you get to know me, you'll know that I am the kind of person that opens my home to a stranger and wouldn't think anything of it in doing so. Tom was a very private person and for him to be willing to open for it to be his idea. In fact, to open our home to cancer families, I think spoke volumes um, with respect to how important this mission was to him. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I read that you not only offer housing, but other key parts of the kind of the overall cancer journey, if you will, from housing to navigations, celebrations, and changing lives. Can you talk a little bit about those four key components and why they are so important? We do. We One of the things that we say at a shelter for cancer families is that we are more than hashtag more than housing. And we really and truly are. I think that um, as one of your past guests was talking about the definition of a home, I think that um, when you were talking with the CEO of and founder of Loaves and Fishes in Austin, Texas. Um, yeah, I mean, it, Alan's words really struck a chord with me in that um, ASCF provides shelter from the cancer storm. And that is more than a roof over someone's head. It is a place where memories are made, where community thrives and where families are kept together. We also, um, our values are that, you know, we believe in providing families with options that respect their dignity, give them, you know, choices, value their time, and when necessary, respect their privacy. And so the housing that we offer is more than a room um, on a floor with, you know, access to a bathroom and a community kitchen and a community laundry facility. All of our residences, we have 17 private residences and they are each equipped with their own gathering space, 
with their own kitchen, with their own washer and dryer, which that was a battle. I, I, I would, that was just a hill I was willing to die on when I was meeting with our board and they were, we were talking about retrofitting this, this, you know, existing property to be able to provide that. And I said, you know, when you are sick, when you've got your head in a bucket, you don't want to go to a community kitchen and you don't want to go to a community laundry facility. And um, it's, again, it's part of living out our values of providing dignity, respecting their time and giving them privacy when they want it. And so um, that's a super important part of what we do. The celebrations were just a natural, um, it, it developed very organically and um, and getting to know many of these families personally, celebrating when they had birthdays, celebrating those important milestones when they would get to ring the bell to signify the end of treatment or, or mm -hmm. hit the gong to signify the end of radiation. And then it evolved to celebrating Mother's Day for those who were patients who were mothers, as well as for those who mothers who were there with their children who were patients or those who were missing their moms because they were away separated by distance during the course of treatment. Um, we even had a wedding on the hospice unit, um, which was extraordinarily wow. beautiful. Um, and you can mm. see that in one of our videos. But if it's important to our families, it's important to us. And I believe that cancer stops for no one. And so we have to find ways to mark and celebrate the milestones that are important to our families in the midst of their cancer journey. Um, life can't wait and it shouldn't. And so we make that possible for our families. The navigation was also a very organic um, part of what we do in terms of helping new, newly diagnosed families sometimes just to make their way to a high volume cancer center to receive care. And then accompanying them to appointments, helping to take notes, making sure that their questions get asked in a way that they can process and understand so that they can be a, an informed member of their healthcare team. And, um, and so that's been a part of it as well. I, I will say with respect to COVID, um, you know, that during that, those, those early days when I was saying, no, we have to have a washer and dryer in every single unit. Um, mm -hmm. Every unit has its own kitchen, its own community gathering space. When other organizations were shut down due to COVID because they had those community gathering spaces, ASCF didn't miss a beat because we were able to have families in their self-contained, you know, private residences. That's awesome. And, um, we had a tremendous demand that we um, shouldered that responsibility largely during the beginning of COVID and continue to do so. Now, it's been about, I guess... Uh, 20 years, more or less, since you lost your husband. And the other day, you sent me some beautiful photos of you with a couple of patients that your organization and you personally have helped. And then I learned that you let me know that they unfortunately had passed away. And I can't even begin to imagine how hard that must be. And the ugly, horrible truth, until we find a cure is that some simply aren't going to make it. How do you deal with that and what keeps you going? 
That is an excellent question. And, and, and something that I struggled with for probably the first 15 years of being involved in this ministry. Um, initially, we, we also invested in the research elements of, of you know, cancer. And, um, and it was just one, and this is when we were focusing solely on sarcoma patients. We have since opened our doors wider and we serve all families affected by cancer, regardless of age, treatment status, um, socioeconomic status, you know, I mean, everyone is welcome. But basically, you know, I, I was circling the parking lot of MD Anderson and, and for any patients or families of patients that are listening, you know the feeling well. You know, you're you're looking for that, like that spot, it's full every every day. And um and tears were running down my face because I was going to visit, in fact, one of the, the ladies that was in one of the photographs that I sent you, Miss Miriam. Um, mm-hmm. Um, extremely close during her time with us. In fact, she stayed um, when she was no longer able to stay at the private residences that ASCF provided. We um, had her stay in our home because her family had exhausted all their PTO and um, she needed to continue to stay here in Houston and really needed someone to stay with her. And so Miss Miriam became a part of our family. And um, and so I'm circling the, the, the parking lot, looking for this elusive parking space. Um, it's almost like winning the lottery when you find one. Jeez, yeah. um, and I, tears are running down my face and, and I'm asking God, why, why can't, you know, why can't I save them? Why, you know, why <laughs> I don't understand. And he answered so clearly, clearer than any message I've ever received. Missy, that's not your job. That's mine. Your job is to care for them while they're there. And that was the beginning of really us making a mission shift to where we fully embrace the, the shelter that we offer in terms of a place of refuge where we meet all of their, um, all of their other needs, um, you know, housing, support, giving them a sense of community, celebrating the things that are important to them, helping them to navigate the journey, but recognizing that, again, sometimes the healing comes on this side of heaven, and sometimes it comes on the other side of heaven, and we do everything that we can to um, to ensure that they have the opportunity for it to be here, but I finally got to a point where I was able to recognize and accept that sometimes God's plans are different than ours. Wow. I think that acceptance is really important when it comes to that. And what you said is so true. You're right. It's not our job to save people. I mean, it's out of our control, but what you're doing in the meantime to help them with the shelter, navigation, celebrations, all of that is so important. So I think that's incredible. You're dedicating your life to helping others who are going through one of the most difficult times in their life, or if not the most difficult time in their life. And it seems that that can just be very mentally and emotionally heavy and draining. What are you doing to make sure that you're taking care of yourself along the way? 
Well, there have been some lessons I've learned along the way. If you spoke to, I often tell people I married the two greatest men I've ever known. So I (laughs) remarried um, Mm -hmm. and my husband will tell you that um, I haven't always been the best example in terms of taking care of myself, but uh, we were fortunate, um, I guess, a few years ago to really start to hire some people who would be on our staff and work full time to help us to carry out our mission. And um, the selection process was, um, again, um, you know, we selected people who had a passion for what it is that we do um, and brought on a young lady us with the navigation piece of ASCF and then um, brought on someone who helped a little bit more with the operations and some of the celebrations. And we have a wonderful housing manager now, Tiffany Criswell. And she is truly, we, we call her the heartbeat of ASCF to do all of the parts of the mission that, that traditionally were, were, my role and my favorite parts in, in is really making those connections day to day with the families that we serve. And, um, and so I think sharing the, sharing the responsibility um, and sharing the privilege too of, you know, I, I don't take a salary and never have. It is, it's a personal choice that I've made, but I get paid in so many other ways. And our mm-hmm. staff, um, they do get a paycheck <laughs> um, because mm-hmm. everybody has to pay their bills, right? Um, yes. But they, but they also get paid in other um, intangible ways. And um, mm-hmm. Tiffany is just extraordinary. And so that has enabled me to do a better job of finding balance in my life and, um, you know, being able to pour into my family as well as into the other families that we serve. Uh, Monica is our CEO and uh, Madeline McGrenera is our um, operations manager and I guess Mm -hmm. Girl Friday, if you will. She really has led in so many of the um, celebrations that we've had. So we are very blessed. We have a very small staff. Francisco is our, our maintenance guy. So it's a small team, but they do powerful work and a lot of the heavy lifting. In fact, I would say most of the heavy lifting. That's awesome. Missy, I have a question. We've put people on the moon. We can do open heart surgery, reattach limbs. We have incredible technology to do amazing things and and come up with vaccines in a year during a horrible pandemic. Why can we not cure cancer? Why have we not been able to tackle this yet? Well, I think that I think that there are a number of reasons. Um, first of all, people are living longer thanks to the development of vaccines and the use of um, technology and modern medicine. And so, right. being you know more, we're seeing um, you know. When people live longer, then we see other types of diseases that are that come into play. You know, there are some cancers that we are seeing higher rates of success in terms of the treatment. With the rarer cancers, it's more of a challenge because they are orphan diseases and trying to secure the funding in order to be able to move new therapies from, you know, 
inception through the pipeline to bringing it to the bedside where patients can receive that therapy is a, a, a significant challenge, um, especially for sarcomas again and other rare diseases. But I also think that we are seeing some progress with the development of immunotherapies that are designed as opposed to killing the cancer and essentially, you know, it's, it's, it's poison meant to poison the, the cancer, but is not as targeted. There's an effort underway to develop more targeted therapies that can teach the body's own immune system how to fight the disease. I mean, the reality is that we all have cancer cells in our body. It's just that our immune system keeps them in check. And so when someone goes on to develop cancer, so to speak, it's because there's something that happened with their immune system, that their immune system was no longer able to keep it in check. And so, you know, I personally look at it as a challenge of maybe learning to live with cancer like we do with diabetes um, or asthma or other chronic diseases that maybe it's not finding a cure, or maybe it is for some types of cancer, but maybe for others, it's finding a way to coexist and, and still have a high quality of life. But that is, that's a decision that, or that's a question that's um, really above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine too, for sure. <laughs> for the researchers to answer, but um, you know, there are significant challenges. And I think that where our money, where we put our money is, is what, you know, that's what gets done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's so true. I have another question for you, because everyone knows someone who has cancer or whether it be an acquaintance of ours or someone that's actually really close to us. And I think it's common for people to not know how they can help or not know of the right things to say. How can we support the people in our lives that are battling an illness like that? Well, that's an excellent question, Erin. I think each person is an individual. And so, you know, there's no one size fits all, but I've really acknowledging the elephant in the room, so to speak, is important. I've seen situations where people, you know, just kind of skirt around the issue or don't want to bring it up because they don't want to make their friend or loved one, you know, think about it. The reality, the reality is, is that somebody who has cancer is already thinking about the fact that they've got cancer or someone who's lost a loved one to cancer. Um, they've not forgotten that death and that loss. And so you're bringing it up is certainly not, you know, bringing it to their consciousness. It's already there. I think, um, acknowledging that, um, that it exists and then, Um, asking for tangible ways that you can support. And that's one of the things that we do at ASCF is help our cancer families to create a support network um, that enables them to communicate their very tangible needs that they have and to be able to solicit or communicate to their friends and family colleagues ways that very tangible ways that they can help and offer support. Um, you know, it may be something as, you know, driving someone to therapy, to treatment. It may be keeping the family stocked on toilet tissue and paper towels and 
hand sanitizer. It might be delivery of meals. It, it could be a variety of things. But I think um, really taking your cue from the patient and from the family as to um, how much they want to talk about it and just being willing, willing to sit in that uncomfortable space sometimes for us and, and listen and recognize that we can't, we can't make it all better, but there are things that we can do that can be, you know, meaningful to the families that are making that journey. Yeah. You mentioned, Missy, that just a moment ago, that kind of where the money goes, that's what gets done. So speaking of the money, we know that donations are what drive your organizations. That's kind of keeps the lights on. That's how you're able to offer this free housing to people coming in from out of out of town. Where should people go to make donations to a shelter for cancer families and go ahead and give out the website where you recommend that they go to donate? Thank you. Absolutely. You know, we do not charge uh, a fee for our families. We feel that when they're in the midst of the most difficult time of their life, um, you know, everything else is difficult. So we try to meet their needs and to make it as easy as possible. Um, this year, we will are we're forecasting that we will provide about 5,140 nights of housing based on our current trends so far this year. That's amazing. Um, so incredible. We get approximately yeah. 48 applications every month for housing. This is just for housing alone. And, um, you know, we're only able to meet about our fulfillment rate is about 35% of that number. So um, with COVID, it was much lower because of, we had to lengthen the stays for our families because they had to be here for a period of quarantine before they could then again get their treatment and to prevent them from going back and forth crossing state lines presented a challenge. But yes, so we tell people that um, while the care that we offer is free, then the housing that we offer is free to the families we serve. Um, it is not free. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> one has to pay for it and someone has to pay the bills and we have a mortgage and we have a you know fiduciary responsibility. And so our ability to do this work and to carry out this ministry is largely dependent upon um, donations from individuals, from family foundations, and from corporate donors. And um, they can visit our website at Cancer Families, that's plural, C-A-N-C-E-R-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S dot O-R-G. And there will be an And we will put that in the episode notes, by the way, too. Thank you. And that will that is an opportunity to donate. Um, financially, you can make a, a financial contribution and it is tax tax deductible to the fullest extent allowable because we are a 501c3. There are also opportunities to donate in kind donations and to volunteer volunteer your your time, um, you know, and your talents. Which is equally important. Is there uh, information about that on your website where it volunteers is. can go to, to help out that are local there? There are. There are opportunities. We did have to, um, you know, kind of circle the wagons, so to speak, during sure. um, you know, COVID. But now that we are seeing more people that are vaccinated and we're starting to better understand how the virus is spread and not spread, 
we are starting to open up to allow volunteers, um, you know, in a very thoughtful way, of course, um, carefully allowing them to re-enter our campus and to help to serve. Yes. Love it. We have, in fact, we have a wonderful um, counselor who is at one of our local middle schools, and she has a therapy certified therapy dog, Major. And so Major will be hopefully coming back to make a visit to ASTM nice. soon. Um, we have nice. a young lady, Drew Beckelman who has volunteered her talent. She plays the guitar and sings. And so we'll open mm -hmm. up the center and, and major will be there accepting pets and Drew will be Aww. singing. And it's, um, it's great for families to be able to connect like that. That's so special. Missy, one question that we like to ask all of our guests is what advice do you have for us and our listeners on how we can help make the world a better place? Just generally speaking. Well, I think that, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and, and I can't even, I, I don't even know who said it, but be the light that you wish to see in the world, I think is, mm. you know, it, it, like you said, it starts with one person, one idea, one thought. And Martin Luther King said, Martin Luther King Jr. said that um, the light has not overcome the darkness. Um, so I think, again, in, in that light, be the light that you wish to see in the world. I think that this has been an extraordinary difficult, extraordinarily difficult year and a half uh, for so many people. But no matter how dark it may seem and no matter how difficult the circumstances might be, we each have a light within us. And if we can just shine that light and be that light for others, I think that we can make the world a better place. Beautifully said. Yeah. And before we close off, do you have any more final thoughts or anything else that you'd like to share about your organization? Um, I just would like to thank you for having me on um, to talk about a shelter for cancer families and to talk about our families. I could talk about them for all day long and share so many stories. You know, we have had families who have had their uh, pregnant patients who have come to us who've had their babies and their babies have had their first steps in our private residences. We, like I said, we've celebrated weddings on the hospice unit. We've celebrated bell ringings and those who have made their way from um, active treatment to survivorship. And, um, you know, we're about connecting with people and helping them to make transitions, transitions from, you know, having a new diagnosis to transitioning from one therapy to another, to transitioning from therapy to hospice and, um, you know, when things go really well, transitioning from therapy to survivorship. And we continue to cultivate those relationships with the families that we serve. And we just thank you for giving us a platform, allowing us to share their story or share our story because our story is their story and vice versa. And we thank those who have contributed in the past and helped to make our ministry possible and those who would consider contributing in the future. This is how we are able to do this work. And um, we are just, it's such a privilege. So thank you. So go to cancerfamilies.org 
org to make your donations, corporations, individuals, and also to volunteer and learn more about the incredible work that is being done there. Missy, you are a beacon of light. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Please keep in touch. Let us know any new developments. Keep in touch on what's going on with the organization, and we'll have you back next year and talk about some other badass things that you're doing. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to meet you. Likewise. So great to meet you, too. Thanks, Missy. Bye-bye now. Be the light. Special thanks to our guest, Missy Bellinger. To learn more about ASCF or to make a donation, you can visit cancerfamilies.org. Thanks to our producer, Noah Existe, and editor, Joe Tompoco. Our music was written and performed by Nadia Importante. Thank you so much for listening. If this podcast brightened your day in any way, please subscribe and leave us a comment. If you have a suggestion for a guest or have any suggestions on how we can improve our show, please send us an email to betterplaceprojectpodcast at gmail.com. Find small ways to be kind to others this week, and that will help make the world a better place. Make the world. the world a better place make the world